Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Okay, we got a um, friend of the show, Jordan Harbinger is here. Jordan, how are you doing, man? Thanks for having me on, man. I'm just uh, chilling, self-isolating, you know, the huge. We are all isolating, but I like I appreciate you dropping in on the show, just parachuting in uh, just for a couple minutes. It's always fun to have you. You know, this is a, a crazy time. 2020 has been a crazy year. We got coronavirus, and we also had, you know, the sad, tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, who was a guest on your show. How, how, did, how did that happen? How do you get Kobe? Yeah, you know what was funny is I was pitching a publicity team for a different guest that I can't even rem- remember now because he was about 1% as famous as Kobe Bryant. And they booked it, and it was it was like some comedian, which I, of course, was really excited about. They booked it, and they canceled it, and I got really annoyed. And they said, well, would you consider interviewing Kobe Bryant instead? And I said, yeah, of course I would consider that. Let's do that. So we set it up and I flew down to Kobe's office and went over there and hung out for a while and did the interview right there. And it was, it was incredible. It was a really interesting experience to be there with his team as well for that day. And uh, honestly, it was probably September of 2019. So the timing was was interesting. And you know me, I asked him all kinds of questions that had nothing to do with basketball, including about creativity, business, hiring and firing, because you wonder how a guy like Kobe Bryant decides who to hire and how he lets people go. I don't know if I'd want to be on the wrong side of him. And uh, I, I did end up asking him about his life and what he's going to do for his second act. And if he ever creepily, I asked him if he ever thinks about what he's going to do if he were gone because he has kids and, and he was really, really honest in the interview. He was really, really straightforward. And I admire that. It was a really good interview in my opinion. Yeah, that is, um, intense high stakes interviewing uh, to say the least and was he like an idol of yours before you did the interview no man honestly i look who doesn't love watching basketball but i wasn't even i'm just not a fanboy of athletes in general so it was a great unique opportunity but i wasn't nervous because of that i was more nervous because you just never know if your audio equipment's gonna screw up so (laughs) i was more nervous like make sure it's recording than i was nervous to be sitting in front of kobe bryant honestly he's so he was so friendly and unassuming and not very loud in fact we even had audio issues recording it because we're like hey we got to turn him up really high and i said you're really quiet and he goes yeah i'm just not a loud guy man and I was like, oh, my God, can you be loud for, like, the next 45 minutes? So it, w- it was a really unique experience. I'll, I'll be thankful for that for a long time to come. That is amazing. You know, when we started this show, we were doing the interview-style thing, and I made a, a bucket list, a wish list of all the guests that I would want. Uh, you know, Kobe was on there. And uh, when I look at your show, and I've been going, I've been plowing through the archive of episodes that you got, um, you've had a bunch of them. So uh, you've had Tony Hawk, you've had Kobe Bryant. Who are some of the other awesome episodes that people should check out if they if they do binge your show like I'm doing? Sure, yeah. Howie Mandel was really good, the comedian. Mm-hmm. He's, he was very open about things like mental illness and how he doesn't shake people's hands. I've had Dennis Rodman, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, and I also had Frank Abagnale, which a lot of people haven't heard about or from, but he... Is that the Catch Me If You Can he guy? He is the Catch Me If You Can guy. So he's the real guy that was played by Leo DiCaprio, and we talked about the psychology behind how he was able to trick so many people and now he teaches, of course, FBI and intelligence agencies how that's done as well. 
That is amazing. So if you're one of the listeners to the to the show who um, misses when we used to do the interviews and bring in guests, uh, well, this is this is my recommendation for you. You should go check out the Jordan Harbinger show. He's got tons of interviews from guests that we were you know hoping to one day have on our show. He's already had them on. Check them out um, on on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you can find it. Jordan, appreciate you as always dropping in on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. We're on. We're back. What's up? Uh, me and Sam are here. Sam, you wrote something at the top of this. I want to hear what you have to say, which is people's reply about what we talked about last time. Thrasia, let's jump in with that. All right. You want to? I'm going to read just word for word. I have it pulled up on my Twitter. Okay. You ready? I'm not going to read the guy's name. He goes, I'm a modest size, mid seven figure Amazon seller in a network of guys that range from one to two million to probably 50 million plus. We have a few guys in our network that actually sold their company to throw How do you call it? Thrasio, Thrasio, Thrasio. I'm happy to chat about Amazon e-commerce sometime. Okay, so I'm going to read his replies now. For those of you listening, the background is is that on Tuesday, Sean and I talked about Thrasio. It's a company that raised money. They raised a uh, hundred, two hundred million at a seven hundred fifty valuation. Some, I, I don't remember. Yeah, close to a hundred million at a seven hundred fifty million valuation. Um, Big company. You can. Um, they're only two years old. They're and what they're doing is buying Amazon fulfillment, am, filled by Amazon company, fulfilled by Amazon companies, and they are uh, making the brands better and just owning them. They're doing a bunch of stuff. Um, and so I had a guy reach out to me, and he's. I go, that's great. Tell me, what's the? I asked him, what's the cash flow situation like? For most guys, sub ten million dollars, they're probably working with zero to a handful of U.S. employees, still actively involved in the day to day. Large team in the Philippines and in cheap locations, and are probably netting between ten to twenty percent a year. Um, and and so the typical size for three to five million, er, the typical size is three to five million in revenue, and they're probably pulling in five hundred to a million dollars a year for themselves. But the problem is, is that uh, it's getting harder and harder. In two thousand and thirteen, you could sell almost anything and scale a seven figure business. Now there are a lot more dominant, more sophisticated players, and it's incredibly hard to enter in the business. The Amazon algorithm is much smarter, and it makes ranking incredibly expensive and difficult. Also, Amazon treats their sellers like trash. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, I could take a month and do nothing and let my team run it, and it can go perfect. Or I can get an email tomorrow saying my account has been suspended or killed, and I need a lawyer to reinstate everything, or I'm just crushed. So anyway, Sean, I wanted to uh, fill you in on this because I thought it was cool insight. I didn't yeah, know about that. That's a good insight. Um, so a couple of thoughts on that. So the first is uh, I think he's right. You know, back 2013, 2014, it was a lot easier to do it than it is today. That seems consistent with what I've heard. Uh, in fact, the, it seems like the formula is build a successful Amazon business in 2013, 14, 15, then start teaching other people how to do it because it's too hard to do anymore. And so now you start giving away the sort of secrets <laughs> and uh, you become a teacher right. for, the, for the next three years. Um, so, that, so I think that's the, the career path right now. The other thing that comes to mind, we were talking, I was talking to Andrew Wilkinson about this and he was saying... He used the uh, I think it's a I think it's a Charlie Munger quote, um, which is or oh no no it's a Nassim Talib quote, which is it's like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. So the, you know there's a high probability you can make 
a little bit of money, um, you know, consistently every every single time you reach down, you pick it up, and then there's you know a low probability of complete death, and that's what he's talking about when he says you can get a letter tomorrow that says your account is suspended, goodbye, um, and and that's it. Or Amazon cuts the rates of your category. Like I have a friend who was doing millions of dollars of book sales as a third party bookseller on Amazon, and then Amazon was like, you know what? Now our take rate on books has, you know, not 10%. We're going to do 25%. Thanks. And that like killed the whole. That happened to me. That happened to me the other day. So in our, we, uh, in the trends group, someone was like, uh, just so you know, Amazon changed the fee. So basically I have various blogs, like my personal blog or something like that. And it makes just like small amounts of money, like three to $5,000 a month off Amazon affiliates. And I don't even check it. It just runs because I've just written a lot of content over the years. They changed their rate. And someone told me in the group, I think they, I forget what I was earning. I don't even check it. I think I was earning 6% to 9% for uh, affiliate revenue. And then they changed it to, they like halved it. So that money just halved. And it's no big deal (laughs) because it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't like a big income stream for me. But if you're a wire cutter, or if you're BuzzFeed and you made a hundred million dollars from this, it's a huge deal, right? Yeah, that tw- that twenty percent cut uh, makes a makes a really big difference. Okay, so no, 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 no. It wasn't a tw- it wasn't a twenty percent cut. It was way bigger than that. Uh, okay, it was like half. They half. Ouch. And what what category are your links mostly in? Is it electronics? Is it some cat? Is it one category or is it just across the board? Um. They rate they lowered it across categories, but across the board, it's close to half. Um, my categories were probably personal care and electronics. I mean, just anyone who, yeah, or books. A lot of books. Right. Okay. Um, I want to know another topic. So we're good on Thrasio. You want to add anything else? No. Okay. Do you not want to? Um, no, I think it's it's consistent with what we thought. I, you know, I like when people fill in the gaps with information that we don't have. Right? I'm not an FBA seller. I don't know the ins and outs of that market. I just think it's interesting. We talk a little bit about it, and then people fill in the gaps. And the next episode, we come back a little smarter. That's a nice little formula we have going. So I appreciate that. If but we ever talk about we... stuff you know, tell us tell us more about what what you know that we don't. Before we go deep into serious stuff, um, do you want to talk about? I want to give you feedback that I got from from listeners, Sean. You ready? Am I prepared for this? Is this harsh critical feedback? Do I need it's to? It's good. Oh, okay, great. No. Okay, so what I'm noticing with this podcast is we have a similar amount of views each week. And I think it's the same people over and over. I think we're like part of people's routine, which is cool. Um, and the I think that one of the secrets to growing a podcast is you have to have guests. So when we had Andrew, he shared it. So all of the people who like him came and listened, and I hope we've got them hooked, and they're going to listen from now on. And so the way that we're going to do this is we're just going to get more guests. But here's what people keep telling me. And this they weren't saying this about Andrew, but they like it when it's just you and I riffing it and just making shit up on the fly. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've felt that. And I think it's even more on these Zoom calls because the Zoom call pace is a little slower. When we're in person, it's a little bit better, I think, to have that third guest on the seat. And uh, it definitely depends. The third guest got to bring the bring the energy. You can't just be successful and smart. That is not enough. You have to bring energy. You got to know what people want to hear about and get to the point. And so, you know, that's the, the rubric for guests, which is hard when you're also trying to find famous guests because they help the show grow. And just for the record, Sean and I have recorded with, I think we've done it a bunch of times. I personally have done it a bunch of times. <laughs> and it was wonderful people who I like. And it just turned out to be bad and we just don't publish. Yeah, we throw it away. 
And we don't even tell the guest. We just um, throw it away. <laughs> yeah. And I've done awkward. it a couple times. With, <laughs> like, uh, for throughout the years, for whatever, I don't even remember what I was recording stuff for. I've interviewed someone who was, like, an amazing operator, and the content was whack. And I'm like, well, trash. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, anyway, the feedback that we're getting, Sean, is that people like us because they say that I'm more optimist and you're more, uh, like, down to earth and uh that we riff and they love that and that they can't get that anywhere but you and i are like let's go get more guests and people don't like the guests but unfortunately that helps us grow yeah well we'll keep mixing it in uh dude i had a call yesterday that i was like if i had just recorded this this would have been like one of the dopest podcasts ever it was just me and furcon we have a call every once a week now that's just called cool shit and he lives in like the edge of like technology. He's like in the dark web, basically, not in a legal way, but sort of like he's on the forefront of what's interesting going on. Well, he's just like a, he's just a nerd. He's just like a very typical Silicon Valley engineer. Yeah, and but he knows he knows me reality well, in a good way. He knows me well enough, and also he loves money enough where he knows how to take that stuff and bubble up the the bits that are interesting, the bits that are relevant, and not just get lost in the weeds of technology. So uh, that convo was amazing, but unfortunately, didn't record. The other thing I was going to say about the guests is um, being guests on other people's podcasts is the other way to grow. So I had Ishan yesterday reach out to like 50 podcasts and just be like, hey, I'll go on and talk about it, right? Like I'll go on. I just sold my company. I can go on and talk about that. Hey, we built a podcast that did a million downloads in the first six months. We could talk about how we did that. And um, so I think guesting on other people's podcasts might be a good way. You did this with Gary Vee, with Pomp. Uh, so maybe we could do. Yeah, more I've that. probably. So there's a caveat there. I've I've probably been a guest a hundred times, and uh, there was a period like over the trailing six months. I have it set on my calendar from three o'clock to five o'clock. That's only guessing on podcasts, and um, I would do it. And some of the small ones just drove nothing. Right. Like it was total hit or miss. And so I would spend like three weeks doing it. And it's almost like, and you probably like this. It's like being a comedian. You just say the same shit over and over and you kind of figure out what hits. And it's fun. It's almost like therapy. You just talk about yourself. It's cool. But uh, it def- it gets a little repetitive and it, the results are not always there. But they are sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, the thing you said at the beginning, which is um, for podcasting, you get this base and it's the sticky, sticky base of people who want to who, who listen to it all the time. It becomes a part of their routine. They start to really love you, that sort of thing. It's very different than other products I built where I'm like, all right, I want to get millions of users to just visit this page or like just use this once a week or subscribe to this and kind of forget about it. Like that's been a lot of the products I built. This is the opposite. It's like an army of 100,000 people who will like go to war for you. I think there's people in this group that would, if I said, Hey, I need you to beat this person up. They would go beat that person up. Like there's people who really have your back. And um, when I started this, I remember I was talking to Suli, who was the very first guest on the pod. And he was like, you know, what are you thinking next? You just sold the company. And I was like, you know, I really like this podcast thing. He goes, okay, like, is that a business? Like in some ways it's a step down, right? It's like, I'm going to make way less doing this than I did my last business or any other business I want to do. And I was like, look, I want to just be in like a million people's earballs every morning. If I did that, I just know that that's a good thing. And I don't know how to get there, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to get into a million people's earballs every morning on their way to the work, on the way to work. I think that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, it, it may or may not be a business, but it definitely will lead to way more opportunity. I've had, I've had a lot of, I mean, I've been doing the content thing a little bit like before the podcast. So I, I kind of understand it, but the podcast definitely is different. 
Um, I remember I went to New York, Sean, and I just tweeted. I was like, I'm, we're going to be over. I'm going to be over here because I was there for a, a, a hustle advertising crap. And I just tweeted. I was like, yeah, we're going to be here. I had 200 people want to come. And so we only let maybe 20 come. And because we're in people's ears, dude, like these people, this kid, Ryan, said something to me. And he's like, yeah, you know, because you said how much you like this thing. And I was like, I don't remember what you're talking about. And like. They, they think they know you, right. and it's funny. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing I like is that people are uh, – the people who listen to this are actually pretty – they're really smart and successful. You know, I think a lot of podcasts that are about business, they cater to kind of lowest common denominator. So it's like, oh, the entrepreneur is their core market. And, you know, in our Facebook group for this podcast, I posted something saying, hey, I'm doing something cool for people who have a business that does over a million dollars a year. And there's like 100-plus replies – just in that Facebook group of people who have businesses doing over a million dollars a year, right? So these are not like kind of like the entrepreneur who's, you know, at their nine to five job or a college kid or something like that. Like, of course, there are people like that, but the audience also is mixed with a lot of interesting, successful people. There's a bunch of VCs that listen to this. It's crazy. Um, so anyways, enough about the podcast. Let's give people some uh, some other topics or ideas. Let's talk one more thing about the podcast, which is I, my house looks like is crazy right now. I've I had, I had to go and buy this mic. I've had to like set this all up, dude. It's been so hard to set up like right. a Zoom thing, and it's hard. Yeah, I hate this shit. I know you want you want that business to exist, which is push a button and give me like a dope podcast like turnkey. Yes. Oh, and for anyone who's listening, this is podcast related a little bit. I promise I'll finish up with this. But this is awesome. So my friend Neville Bedora, he sponsored the last podcast, copywritingcourse.com. I'll plug him. He, um, I did like a happy hour with him. I mean, I don't know, a dinner where we just, we're just shooting the shit because we haven't been able to see each other because of this stuff. He used a DSLR as his webcam. And it was awesome. It, it was so cool. It looks amazing. It made him look like a Greek god. It looks like he's like, it's all like, it's like, does that, I don't know about cameras, where it does like, you're blurry in the background. it's called like bokeh or something like that. So, so I saw on YouTube, uh, there's this guy, Gary Tan, he's an investor in Silicon Valley. He's like, um, you know, one of the wise combinator partners. And he did this YouTube video that was like, how to look like a fucking amazing on Zoom. And I was like, dude, this makes sense. This is the new, like, this is the equivalent of wearing a suit to work now, right? Like, is sitting on Zoom and not looking like shit with your room looking like shit. And so this video only had 1,500 views, but he's like, look, this is the camera I use. This is the mount. This is the lens. Here's how you get that blurred background look. And, like, he looks amazing. And then when I saw that photo, the screenshot you had of Neville, I was like, I bet you he watched that video. And there was only 1,500 views, but I was like, anybody who's watching this, and I, the other guy who, who did it was uh, Neve Drawer, who's the, the founder of, uh, he was at Product.net, now he has Shrug Capital, and he does it too, and it, it really does look amazing. And when I saw that, I was like, I should do this. I should I should invest. So I, I'm going to do it. I, did, I didn't know about this video. So I, last night, I bought $700 worth of stuff. I bought, um, so I already have these Philips Hue light bulbs. Do you know what those yep, are? Yep. Uh, where you, I just say, Alexa, turn the right, lights on. like smart. Watch. Yeah. It's going to turn the lights on. <laughs> um, and so I bought those, but you see back here behind the couch, I'm going to put them there. And so it's going to like shoot up right. and it's going to, I hope it's so like I, I, we have like our room. Oh, wait, I, I forgot. I'm not using the camera. We have a room clean. Anyway, you'll see it. Uh, so I'm into, I'm in on this. I like so it. So this guy reached out from Twitter who um, he's done a couple of e-commerce things that are kind of interesting. And so I was talking to him and he, that's his new thing. So he, he's basically, he initially was targeting Twitch streamers. Cause he's like, look, um, when you're a streamer, you're basically broadcasting from your bedroom 
and streamers invest in all this like artwork, cool lights, wall panels, smart speakers, all this stuff um, to make the room look good. And he's like, I'm going to make an e-com store that's like just going to do that. Uh, it's going to be what's it called? Uh, I'll find the name of it. I don't know if he wants me to kind of out him. So I'll, I'll, we may have to bleep this if uh, if he's not into it. But I'll say it right here. It's called Visual Candy. And uh, this guy's cool. smart. I like this guy a lot. And so, um, so anyways, but now with the you know work from home, I think this extends a lot past where his initial market was, which is YouTubers and Twitch stars. And now it's, you know, any professional who's going to spend some amount of time in a home office. And just think about the amount of home offices that are being built out right now um, because people are needed infrastructure for this. But that's going to stick around once COVID goes away. Yeah, I I I have loved. I, I'm really into it. Um, I've like gone to Amazon and I've tried buying like all the stuff, and it's it's kind of complicated because I didn't know which batteries do this. I was like, how do I just? I was like, where does the camera need to be? So I'm doing this. There's another thing called a uh, Cam Link. I just looked this up. Elgato um, makes it. Uh, El Elgato, yeah. And it, I I went and looked at it, and it was they built this entire thing for streaming for gamers. Yep. And uh, it looks awesome. I'm gonna. I definitely am gonna start buying this stuff. I'm probably gonna drop two grand on all this crap. <laughs> um, I'm, I think we'll turn our. Be- uh, we have. A, I have another bedroom. I'll turn that into an office. So I'm. I like all this crap, dude. I love buying shit. When you buy, and when I just get on a buy streak, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I deserve this. I need that. And like, you know, what's the problem here? And and actually, buying stuff is not. Um, I don't know. There's something like cathartic about it. Like just the act of buying it feels fucking great. And I love it. Yeah. But for me, I've been having to call 1-800-GOT-JUNK and having to spend <laughs> like if I buy like a, a new desk, the boxes are so big. I got to pay a hundred dollars just to get rid of the box. It's insane. Especially here in San Francisco. The box problem is insane. I fucking hate it. I hate it. It's one of the reasons why I moved. I live in a house now. I used to live in a building. And one of the reasons was is because I didn't have to worry about the trash. Right. Well, no matter how but, much space I have, because I thought, oh, I got this new house. I was like, now I have a garage. I got this like tradesman alley. I got this extra closet. But it's that same principle. I think it's uh, I forgot like the Parkinson's law or whatever, which is uh, time will uh, work will expand to fill the time you give it. So let's say you have a week to do the project. Guess what? It's going to take you a week. If you had a day to do that same project, it would have only taken you a day. And um, in the same way, like junk, your shit will expand to fill the space you have. And uh, that's so here. Let, let me let I've, I've thought about this a lot. Let me get wise here. OK, I'm a amateur beekeeper. So I have bees. Do you know this? No. <laughs> you know, that's your house okay. right now. You I don't have ha- the right now. So they actually uh, went away. But uh, since 2013, I've kept bees. So I've always <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> so listen, I'll tell you all about this. For the most part, in my li- or in my San Francisco life for ten years, I've lived in uh, Glen Park. It's a nice neighborhood in San Francisco. It's like residential though, and I've always had a backyard. And I wanted a hobby that was uh, not expensive, and I didn't want it to turn into a business. And I just wanted something fun that I could be outside. Right. And I like I made a list of hobbies that I could pick. You just pick the lamest one. Key- <laughs> and no beekeeping came up on top because it doesn't cost a lot of money to start if you want to you can just leave it alone and not do anything or if you wanted to you could poke around with it and like be active so with low it. maintenance um, I, low maintenance it does it only costs three to five hundred dollars to get into the hobby you don't have to buy a bunch of shit to keep up with it um and it was allowed me to be outside and so i i became a beekeeper in 2013 i think Yo, how so long, long do time, bees I, live like do you still got a bee that's uh, around from then no, 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 no. They, 
they I think they might only live for like a few months. Oh, they okay. they could cycle through. And so I bought about ten thousand bees, and I get honey from them, and I just give it away, and I uh, I call it Southern Sam Sticky Icky, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so I've had bees for years. Um, and when I lived in Soma, I only lived in Soma for a year. And then I went back to Glen Park and I just kept it on the roof at my office. So you can have bees. I, I would have 10,000 uh, 10, bees just on the roof of our office and no one would know. They stay to themselves mostly and they go out and get honey or get uh, <laughs> pollen and they turn it to nectar and it turns into uh, uh, honey. And anyway, the, here's the interesting thing that I learned. See, this has been like, this is my, where the wisdom comes in. Here's the interesting things that I've learned with bees is bees fill the space that they are given with honey. So if you give them a lot of space, they will always fill it. If you don't give them a lot of space, then they just won't make right. it. And so, it's the rule of the sticky so, icky. And so I've learned this through bees that humans are the same way. If you give them a lot of space, then they will fill it with a ton of stuff. If you give them not a lot of space, they just won't buy stuff. You just won't, you, you won't, you just won't get stuff. And so that's the important thing. So when you think of like, I'm going to get this huge house, so I'll have a ton of room and I'll have more space. You're going to fill it to the brim with crap and you will no longer have space. It always that's, works. Okay, that's amazing. I love that story. Didn't know you were a beekeeper. I've known you for like six years. Had no idea. By the way, we both studied abroad in Sydney. And I took a class because when you study abroad, you're trying to have a good time. You're not trying to learn. And so I took the easiest class I could find, which was a bee, a bee class. And so I learned all this shit about bees. And bees have some crazy things, like just two quick bee facts. Um, if I remember correctly from 10 years ago, I learned that when, a, when the queen bee goes to mate, she leaves on an expedition. And she will mate with as many male bees as she can along the way. And she basically has sex with them and then kills them. Right afterwards, yeah. breaks their back and they die, and then she she sort of gets impregnated by all these bees. And then there's this other thing which is really interesting that that people have learned from bees, which is like uh, a big evolutionary learning, which was in a beehive, um, many of the bees could be fertile, but they choose to be sterile and they choose to just take care of the queen bee's kids because they're all related by like some twenty five. They're all like quarter sisters or something like that. They're all like twenty five percent related, and uh, it turns out like. In a Darwinian sense, you are better. Your genes are better off surviving if you just t- tend to these half sisters and quarter sisters that you have, rather than trying to have your own kids and survive. And so that's the crazy thing about bees. Bees are awesome, man. It's a great hobby. You can get into it for two hundred fifty dollars. All you got to do is go to Amazon and you type in uh, beekeeping kit, and someone will send you the kit. And then you go on your cra- local Craigslist. You might even be able to buy them online, but you, that might take like a few weeks. But if you go on your local Craigslist, you type in bees. There's a farmer nearby who you can pay a hundred dollars, and they'll give you ten thousand bees, and they'll set it up for you. It's so it's super easy to get into, and it is so fun. Bees, uh, uh, you could eat. I get fuck. I mean, I'll get. Like, I got to think about this, like probably five to eight gallon milk jugs. Like what's the, how big is a, uh, is that a gallon of yeah. milk? Like that, that worth of honey, maybe five to wow. eight a year. They're producing. And, okay, cool. I want some honey. Yeah. Um, also related to this idea of like people buy stuff uh, and people love stuff and people will fill their space with stuff and bees will fill their space with stuff. Um if you want a good five minutes, go on YouTube and type Chris D'Elia, Girls Love Things, and uh, you will have a great time for five minutes. Okay, and now that brings me to a random startup idea. So I don't think this would work, so let me start with that. But there's something interesting here where – so Netflix recently you – know, Netflix in the last few years started going heavy into comedy, 
So comedy used to be like HBO kind of owned the space uh, where they would do, you know, HBO specials. Um, and then that kind of dried up and comics are like cockroaches. They'll always survive. It's like, okay, we'll go play in the dingiest room. We'll go on stage. We'll get a Netflix special. We'll get an HBO special. Okay, we're back to the dark room again. Like they won't quit because yeah. they're like degenerates. And now podcasting has been a huge boom for them. Um, so Chris D'Elia, who also just had a Netflix special come out, um, these guys make tons of money, right? So Netflix started cutting like $10, 20000000 million checks, I believe, to these comedians because they know that comedians have these like rabid followings and uh, the content is good. It's unique uh, sort of proprietary content. But I think that there's a product out there sort of like a crunchy – what Crunchyroll did for anime, I think somebody could do for the mid-tier comedians. I think you could make a sort of $5 a month, $7 a month sub- subscription – to uh, the, the the comedians that are not going to get Netflix specials, right? So not Chris Rock and not Seinfeld and Chappelle and, and all those guys, but like the next tier down, like uh, even, you know, one level below like the Whitney Cummings of the world, right? Because they are still getting Netflix specials. And I think you could add them up and it doesn't even have to be the hour long special. It could be like a 10 minute set, uh, set or a 20 minute set or something like that. And I think you could get, I think each of them have a few thousand fans that would pay to be able to access that exclusive comedy content. And um, and so you would ag- if you just aggregate all the comedians, then it's a sort of all-you-can-eat pass where, uh, as a viewer, I can discover other comedians too. So anyways, I think that there's a business potentially for a mid-level Netflix for comedians where you aggregate them. What do you think? Great. I'm looking up information so I can I, – I, my brain's rolling and I'm going to – let me let me tell you what I think. Okay. So uh, first of all, Quibi, I imagine, is trying to do something like that. So Quibi um, – is that even fucking how you yeah, say that, it, that Quibi? Is. It's pretty stupid. Uh, I mean, look, I think with Quibi, um, it, it actually can be great yeah. because the people who are running it are like super smart. But it, it does not look like a good bet now. But it still might be. Um, anyway, they're trying to do something like that. Second, I think that that is a great idea. And I think the way that I would find out how to do it is I would look up Quello. Q-E-L-L-O. Have you heard of Quello? Never heard of it. Okay, Quello's cool. So what Quello is, is it's a... It, it's, I think it was started way before its time. It's an app on Apple TV, and all they have is live concerts. And so it was started in 2010, and um, it's available on – it's like an it's a app for your phone, but I think it's best on Apple TV. And you could download it, and you pay 10000 or um, – is it maybe ten dollars a month? Ten sometimes ten thousand dollars yeah. a month. <laughs> uh, I think it's ten dollars a month, and you just get access to li- a library of live concerts. Have you ever wanted to do that, or is that just me? Uh, I kind of do is this that... on YouTube, but YouTube like has enough free. Re- like I, I listen to a bunch of like Red Rocks concerts, right? Because there's a concert venue called Red Rocks, which is awesome. And like anytime a musician goes there, they film it in like epic with epic cameras and sound, and they're just like available on YouTube for free. But this is cool. I like this. It's awesome, and the, it's 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 better than YouTube. But YouTube is great, and the reason it's better is because like if you buy like a concert DVD, the camera works a little bit better, and the sound is a lot better. And I love live music, and so I am a big fan of this. And they have seventy thousand paying subscribers. They were recently acquired by Stingray Communications, which is a publicly traded company in Canada. It's a cable company. So if I were you, Sean, and I wanted to launch this, or if I was a listener and wanted to launch this, I would look up Stingray Communication, and I would go and. Re- the, the filing for that company and I would figure out exactly what Quello does. That's what I would do. Um, and I would learn about how they did it because it's a relatively niche thing. They only have 70,000 um, 
subscribers. It's not huge, and they've been at it for 10 years, so it's not a big number. And I think it is an incredibly viable business, uh, and nice. I think it's great. Another thing, another thing that I would do is I would look up Discovery Channel and then National Geographic. Are you familiar? You're familiar with of National course. Geographic, obviously, right? Okay, National Geographic is still a huge company. It, 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 uh, uh, Disney recently bought into it at a billion dollar valuation, and they still make they still make hundreds of thousands or um, hundreds of millions of dollars a year from their magazine subscription. Is that crazy? That's insane. Uh, and so I would, but they, but here National Geographic was a nonprofit, and uh, and so the good thing about nonprofits is you can go and see all their numbers. And so what I would go and look at, I would look at Discovery, and I would look at Nas- National Geographic, and I would look at Quello, and I would see what they are doing because those are, those are relatively niche. Um, subscription companies that crush. Right. So, long story short, great idea. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, what else we got? You wanted to talk about this Carta thing. Yeah, so um, I am a user of Carta. I, I think the product's only okay. It's still quite frustrating to use, but Carta laid off uh, a bunch of people the other day. 167 and, people. Yeah, and they raised money. Um, and their CEO, Henry, wrote this message that he made public. Uh, and he said something like, it was not your man- manager's fault for laying you off. It was 100% my fault. In fact, it was the opposite. Your managers tried to help you. And I'm the one who reviewed every list. And I said, we're going to fire this person. So blame me. And I think that was great. I thought it was a great message. So, so high, high level, he was basically saying, hey, we laid a bunch of people off. And I'm going to... Um, published the announcement I made to the company so that, you know, presumably other CEOs and other companies can kind of learn from this, use this, or take solace in the fact that I did this too. I don't know, whatever the purpose was. Yeah. Content marketing. And he he published this. And I typically fall into the category of all press is good press. Go ahead and do it. I thought this was kind of lame. Did you, do you agree? And, and I and I tweeted at Henry, and I want him to come here, and I'll say this to his face. I think he seems like a cool guy. This move, I think, was kind of lame. Right. I, I would agree. I've kind of followed this guy for a little while. Like I've read some of his other stuff or, or seen some interviews. Seems like a good guy. Seems like a, like a smart guy. And I think Carter's a good product. Um, and I like some of the other stuff they've done. Like they have a next chapter program, basically to help people who want to people who want to leave the company. They don't make it this like awkward exit. They like celebrate it and whatever you know in theory so i thought this was lame mostly because um i thought two things i thought it was tone deaf and um secondly i didn't think the actual statement was very good so i thought just the, pr- the premise of what he was trying to do like what is the upside and what is the downside um it, it to me it looked like he was trying to pat himself on the back and i know he would never he would yeah. say that's not what i was trying to do blah blah, blah. Uh, i think he was trying to pat himself on the back and um, also, like, you know, give a little bit of sort of, you know, put Carter's name out there again. Like, just by – it's kind of like the buffer way of, like, publish everything and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you get attention. Uh, but I just thought it was tone deaf. And also, it seemed like what he wanted people's reaction to be was like, wow, great leadership, way to take responsibility, great CEO-ship. And, uh, and he got that. And both – not from me. When I read this, I was like, this was a pretty – horrible way to do the announcement uh and i'll tell you why he started okay so here's like i'm just gonna bullet point the 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 summary so he goes um over the last few weeks we're talking about recession planning i said layoffs were likely and today is the day i can't delay it any longer okay weird start but all right 
Then he says, I'm sorry if I apologize. Uh, if, if I sound robotic, I'm reading off a script because I don't know if I can get through this without something to lean on. Okay, you're not the victim. Don't say that. That's also kind of, yeah, that's, that's pretty lame. Yeah, lame as fuck. Uh, then he says, okay, let me start with the details. We're going to lay off 161 employees. That's 16% of our company. It's going to be different across the company. All right, whatever. Then this was weird, I thought. It was just like, if you are one of those affected, you'll receive an invitation from your manager. Uh, if you do not receive a meeting invitation, you are safe. And I was like, okay, Hunger Games, a little odd uh, way to do it. But, you know, in a Zoom world, I don't know if there is a better way to really, like, kind of mass do this where you, you can't have the information come out until it needs to come out. But I just thought, like, it's anxiety. That's a very, like, anxious feeling thing. And also, you got to know, if you're the CEO and you say that, people's minds just start racing in that direction. They're just imagining what the next hour of their life is going to be. They're not even going to hear the next three paragraphs you say. Like, their mind is yeah. gone. They checked out. It's thinking about themselves. And so whatever the next three paragraphs are, ignore it. So then he goes, all right, um, the moral conflict. This is the part I thought was whack. So he's like, in a couple of town halls ago, I said there was two perspectives around layoffs. The first is the shareholder perspective where reducing costs and protecting cash are what matters. The second is the employee perspective where nothing matters more than saving jobs and helping employees in in a time where it's like unemployment at levels of the Great Depression. So each of these are clear. They're unambiguous and they're correct from their perspective, but they are diametrically opposed. This creates a conundrum for CEOs. CEOs sit between shareholders and employees and wish that they could do both. For every CEO, they have to deal with this conflict. I chose to manage this conflict by taking the shareholder perspective and deciding who should leave and taking the employee perspective on how to help. To me, I was like, what is this paragraph? Like, dude... Yeah, what the fuck, dude? It's all the same. Like, you're just trying to build a company that makes profit and does work with good people. That's the same thing. Yeah, and, like, think about – you have to think about your audience. Do you think your audience gives a shit about the shareholder perspective and the, the dilemma you have as a CEO and how you've chose to straddle this as a CEO? It's not even about you. So I just thought this was the part that was really odd to me that, like, seemed, it seemed like he, he – I don't know. I wouldn't have included this in the statement, and I thought that this made it look quite bad, and I I would not want other CEOs emulating this part of the statement because what matters is your audience is your employees, and you need to know, hey, this is really hard for us. Uh, we, We tried to analyze every situation, cut every other dollar we could before we cut anyone's jobs. And we did that, but this is the this is the path we have to go. You know, this is I'm terribly sorry. Like I did not manage the company in a way where we had enough buffer. Um this is a failing on my part. This is the worst, you know, the worst day in my my uh, my time as a company, and it, and it is for all of us. Um, and so, like, here's what this means for you. And like, all you have to say is like, this sucks. Uh, we tried everything we could do. This was the last resort. And you know, here's how we're going to make it right by you, and not like this theory about how shareholder value matters, and the CEO has to like straddle these things. It's like nobody cares. Yeah, I I think that, and I think that that's. Not only does nobody care, I think that that is just a silly way to look at it, which is when you're building a company, like step one is uh, create something that people want yes. and get it, in, in, get it into the hands, get it into their hands in a profitable way. Okay, that's step one. Like that, that is just the, the, not, that's the basics of a company, which is you make something that someone wants to give you money or you make something and you make a profit off of it, right? And... If I, was, I don't think that's step one, but that is the fundamental premise of the company. That's the fundamental. That's the fundamental pre- premise, is what I mean. And so, if I was him, I'd be like, "Look, here's the deal. Like, we expect uh, we expect it to grow uh, a lot faster, and we are investing in this, and, and the plan would have worked, but this thing slowed everything down, and so we just have to cut things that are not profitable." Right. 
and I, that sucks. And I'm sorry that that sucks, but that's what's going to happen. And I think that if you just say that in a more straightforward way, instead of all this shareholder value shit, yeah. like people already know people that. People already know. Like, They're all adults in the room. They understand this fucking crazy virus is happening and companies across the board are having trouble. Some companies have no revenue now. Like people get that, that that's happening. And it's just like, okay, so what's going to happen at our company? Oh, at our company, we've, they tried everything they could. They're making the, the sort of, this is what he needed to say was, this was our last resort. Um, we did this in a way where we're not going to have another round of layoffs because that creates, you know, a ton of. Uncertainty. I wouldn't say that. I would, I would say we're going to try not to. Yeah, like you know, that is our goal and how we did this. But even then, that's speaking to the people who are staying. You know, really at this point, you just have to speak to the total group and just say, some of you are going to be affected. Here's how it works. We're, here's how we're doing our best to to make it right, to do right by everybody who's done right by us. This is no fault of your own. This is a fault of ours in running a company that was not um, – did not have the, the margin of error uh, to deal with, with something. Yeah, I think that like what I would just say – if I had to do this, which I hope I never have to, but I, I probably really will have to one day. Not like I'm saying at our company, but um, well, I'm not implying anything. I'm just saying <laughs> one day. If I, have a, if I have a long career, which I will, um, that you got to say, look, I have 100% of the flock that I have to manage and take care of. And sometimes that might mean that I have to fire 30% of the flock in order to take care of the other 60. And that is just how life works. And this just sucks. Right. And I'm trying to make this ha- in such a way that the 40% are not completely hung out to dry. But this is just what I have to do. And I'm sorry that this is, is the situation. And if you want to blame someone, blame me. Right. And that's that. Right. And that's pretty much all you have to say. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't need the, the epic speech. And, you know, uh, right now we're kind of like, look, I, I think we're, we're clear that, hey, personally for us, this didn't, like, come across great. And we weren't like, oh, wow, that was epic. Um, on the other side, uh, you know, we're just kind of off the cuff coming up with what a, what a better speech might be. But the reality is that in this case, like, you basically have a speechwriter. You have a multi-billion, you have a billion-dollar company, and you have time to think about this. And this is the... What what we're reading is his output after thinking about it. And so that's the part that I thought was a little Also I wouldn't have published it. I wouldn't have published this because it's like, dude, take this fuck it take this on the chin. Like right. and by the way, I know I'm criticizing this guy. I don't know him. He I and I will tell us to I will say this to his face and I'm sure he's actually a good good dude. This is just a big miss. But uh I would say like, dude, you gotta take this one on the chin and just like this is a loss and right. and say be a man and say what you want to say to your people, which uh, that it's your your fault. That's wonderful. I wouldn't publish this. Agreed. I, I didn't understand that. And also, um, I'm not. Sh- yeah, I'm not sure what the what the sort of upside of was of that was. Now, on the other hand, I think they did some things great, right? So, like the actual actions that they were taking for people, I thought were great. They're like, look, we're going to extend the Cobra Health Insurance till the end of the year because health insurance is super important, especially right now. And so they didn't have to do that, but they did. Uh, they removed people's cliff and they invested their shares. They didn't have to do that, but they did. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they give them, I think a bit of, a bit of severance, didn't have to do that, but they did. And then they have this sort of alumni network where they're trying to help people get jobs. Cool. I like all of that. Like I liked all of that action. I just didn't like the preamble and I didn't like the sort of pat on, pat, it seemed a little bit like pat me on the back, please. Can I show you my leadership during this adverse time? So you could like, get, tell me I did a good job. And that's the part I didn't like. I liked a lot of the action. And of course, and yeah, I'm like you, I, I don't know this guy. So, you know, this is not, no, no personal thing against him. I've, I've, I have friends who work with them, and I've heard a lot of positive stuff. 
Um, I just think that like, and I, I, I value, I applaud Carta for raising this money and going big and trying to make something happen. And I applaud them from over, for over hiring in hopes of like it working. Like I, I applaud the risk taking and I want people who are listening that just because Sean and I are criticizing this guy, you got to take risks still and you got to try this big shit and it's not going to work all the time. Good. I mean, not good, but like whatever. That's just, you got to, it comes with the territory. And I just wish he would have took it on the chin a little bit more. Right. Okay. I got another, I got one more topic that's on a, a more positive note. Okay. So, uh, um, I got to wash. I feel like I got had some haterade spilled on me there. I got to wash that off. Uh, so this is, yeah. And by the way, Sean, you and I typically aren't, I'm yeah. rarely a hater. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so feel, we're rarely haters. Feels very so I, and I, yeah. So I want to add this by saying, I hope these guys crush it. I hope they do wonderful. I believe and think they actually will. Um, I just think that this one move was a stupid move and a, probably a very long and positive journey. Right. Um, and uh, and look, you know, there's a big difference of, of uh, criticizing a person versus criticizing an, an action or criticizing a, a you know something that was done. And this is definitely like just didn't like the message, not the don't know, don't even know the messenger. Um, Can we just say, by the way, that a lot of people. Um, in media, like in who have these podcasts and newsletters, and they're all fucking haters of the people they're covering. Right? Is that not the craziest thing ever? Yeah. Well, I think it's like um, it's like a fair trade. Uh, so, so, so there's this guy, uh, Eric Weinstein. Have you heard this guy's podcast? It's called the yeah. It's, I like it's him. called the Portal. He's a smart guy. I, I don't know too much about him. He he runs like Peter Thiel's uh, fund, and so he's been talking about this concept lately. That's called kayfabe. Have you heard him talk about this? No. Okay, so he's like, hey, there's this wrestling term called kayfabe, K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. And he's like, okay. what kayfabe is, is like, you know, in wrestling, it's basically, wrestling is a fake fight, right? WWE, it's like a, a prearranged sort of agreed upon fake fight where I'm the hero and you're the heel or I'm the good and you're the bad, whatever. And um, and it, it, it's like the dialogue is sort of an agreed fight um, for, for both of our betterment. Like the more we feud the more uh, popular we both become. And um, the fight itself, like, okay, we agree, we sort of agree to do this. And so he talks about how this happens in the real world too. Like right now I see this whenever Trump goes and does his briefing. And then there's that one guy from CNN, Jim Alcosta, I think is his name. And yeah. he's always there. And he Trump's like, okay, yeah, you're next. And then he asks his question and Trump like rips him. And then that becomes like the seven minute YouTube clip. And CNN talks about it all day. And, um, like, you know, on one hand, it's like, why doesn't Trump just kick this guy out or like, you know, remove, revoke his press, you know, credentials here? Or on the other hand, why doesn't this other guy, you know, either, you know, fight back or, or start uh, or, or like take some other action? Every day, the same sort of thing plays out. And I think in reality, it serves them both extremely well, where uh, CNN gets awesome content that people want to watch because it's juicy to see the president fight with somebody. And Trump also loves the attention on the left, on the right, good and bad. And then he drums it up as, dude, those liberals are always trying to say this. And then the right supports him more because he has an enemy that's attacking him. Right. And so there's like this dance that they're doing. Um, so I get that. Intentionally. I get that. But here's what I don't get. So I'll, I'll give you a very specific example. This pissed me off so much. There's this woman named uh, Natasha 
T to to I forget what her Natasha to I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I forget it though. It's like to uh, anyway. She was a blogger for Valley Wag, which Valley Wag was pretty funny, and all but they took it too far. All they did was make fun of Silicon Valley. Um, and then she worked at BuzzFeed and then Wired Magazine, and now she's at Washington Post. And she had this article that says Silicon Valley now deems luxury housing an essential, an essential good or whatever. Yeah. Uh, good. And so people are still building multi million dollar condos. And in the first fucking line of the article, it says the mayor has deemed luxury housing as well as all other types of housing, including including housing projects and this other stuff, as essential. And it was in the technology section of the Washington Post. Oh, yeah, here it is. Natasha Tiku. Tiku. T-I-K-U. And I've met her before. And, uh, and I was like, what the fuck? That's like saying, like, I'm going to write an article in TechCrunch and be like, can you believe this? Billionaires are able to buy... One million dollar cars, <laughs> and then in the article, and be like, but also anyone can buy any car, right. including a one thousand dollar Mazda, <laughs> including a twenty thousand dollar Honda Civic, including a fifty thousand dollar Mercedes. Right. It's like, what? And then why is it in the tech s- section of of Washington Post? Oh my god, this pisses me off. And so I looked this woman up, and she's very educated. She went to uh, NYU, and then like Columbia Journalism, or like uh, just like Ivy League, just really smart woman. And I'm like, why would you study for eight years or however long it took and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars when you're just going to... To do this. You're just going to hate the people who you write about. Right. I don't understand it. Why not just go and write about something that like who you want to celebrate? Of course, they'll say we don't hate them. We're just you know we're reporting on the we're reporting the stories. We don't we don't hate them. Um, So there was a really interesting thing uh, uh, that happened recently where before coronavirus. Um, there's this guy, Balaji, who's on Twitter, pretty popular guy. He was at Andreessen Horowitz and a bunch of stuff. Uh, he was at Coinbase and things like that. So he's kind of one of those like on the forefront of things guys. So back in January, he showed up at a crypto meetup and he was wearing gloves and a mask. And this was January when nobody in the U.S. was really worried about this. And everyone's kind of laughing like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you know, I think that there's a, you know, you know, maybe small probability, but that this coronavirus thing that's happening in Wuhan is going to be like a, a major, you know, global pandemic. And people are like, okay, Balaji, all right, thanks. And so this writer came out and wrote a story about Vox. Uh, Vo- the Vox, a Recode writer. Yeah. So Recode writer. The Recode. Oh my God, this infuriates So, me. So the Go quick ahead. story here is the Recode writer reaches out to Balaji and says like, hey, uh, I want to get your comment on a story we're doing about, you know, Silicon Valley's uh, reaction to the coronavirus. This was again early on. And he was like, yeah, I'm not interested. Why don't you report on like who cares about Silicon Valley's what the Silicon Valley elite think about coronavirus? Like you should report on the state of testing, the state of the, the you know, the, the spread of the virus and all these other like kind of like important facts that should be reported on. And he tweeted out that he that that he, he screenshotted her DM and tweeted it. And then all the journalists were like, dude, she was just asking for comment. Why are you putting on blast? This is why people hate Silicon Valley. And he was like, no, 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 no. I know this game. And he, he so he talked about this. He's like, uh, this is a strategy called befriend and betray, where the journalist comes to you and says, hey, Balaji, you're an expert. I would love to get your take on this thing. And all they're trying to do is write the story. And what the headline of the story came out was something along the lines of like, you know, why Silicon Valley's not doing handshakes anymore. 
and was like laughing at Silicon Valley sort of for overreacting to the coronavirus. This was early on before all the lockdown and stuff. And he said, he goes, I promise you the headline's going to be right. Silicon Valley nerds refuse to shake hands. And that's, per- and that's what pretty it was. much what it was. Now, the body of the article, I went back and read it, was actually you know somewhat fair. It was just reporting what was going on, how, you know, whatever. Uh, but he was right about the, the headline. And the headline's often written not by the journalist, but by the editor, because the editor needs to drive clicks, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so this is a pretty interesting feud. If you want to hear more, the Jason Calacanis did a podcast with Balaji that I thought was pretty awesome. So I can't I can't stand that, and particularly given like me, like people are always like, oh, you're a tech bro. And the, like a lot of some journalists will say that. I'm like, you work at Vox. If I'm tech, so are you. Right. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> tech? Like, like I had a, so a journalist from The New York Times come and interview me. She's like, so what do you and you're like? tech bro friend yeah i was gonna ask you to do this so so tell the story your new york times story this is an amazing story you've told me before yeah so first of all like i i made sure i recorded it and i had because i knew so i knew that this person was going to take me out of so what was the context you went to new york or how how did it go down no she came here she goes hey you seem like an insider i want to come and learn all the things that people are gonna are talking about trying to betray and yeah, and I go, okay, fine, come. I know what you're doing. Come on. And uh, But maybe it could be positive. Like, maybe we'll become, like, we can exchange cool information. Maybe you'll write something positive about me. Maybe I'll just, whatever. And maybe it'll turn out good. And she comes. She goes, can I record this? I go, yeah, I'm going to record it too. And, uh, and uh, because I, I didn't want anything to be taken out of context. And she goes, so, like, you're, like, a tech bro. Like, what do you and your tech friends talk about and your bro friends? And I was like, first of all, why are you calling me a bro? Like, what are you and your tech chick friends talk? Like, why would you ever say that to me? You don't know me, and that's just rude to, to say. Anyway, and I and she, I go, well, I don't know. You, I go, you're in tech. You tell me. She goes, no, I work at New York Times. I was like, you guys just announced that most of your revenue comes from digital. Like, you're a, why am I tech and you're not tech? Like, you are tech. And she goes, well, it's just different. I was like, well, you tell me. What do you 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 and your tech friends talk about? And she goes, well, we're not. Uh, whatever. Yeah. She like, tried to dismiss it. I was, I was like, and, and anyway, I go, well, we talk about uh, just like, you know, sports. And I, I was like, I don't know. We just talk about normal stuff, like cool diets or like cool <laughs> food and like all types of weird stuff. And uh, it was just so odd. She was just so trying to like, it was so much like an other, like I am an other from you. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this, 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 this. Uh, dichotomy here like we are actually in the same industry I work in publishing so do you uh, we both make most of, our, most of our money from the internet uh, like why are you calling me this tech bro I, you don't even know me and she's like what you don't listen to Joe Rogan do you I'm like well yeah I do I listen to a lot of cool stuff I, uh, <laughs> I, I read and this is true every morning I go to CNN and then I go to Fox News and then I go to HuffPo and then I go to Breitbart because those are all like uh, kind of the opposites I read all types of stuff I like Joe Rogan I like Oprah I I do all types of stuff why are you trying to like set me up for this gotcha moment right and it was horrible I hated it yeah and so to sum this up the headline by the way we have it multi-million dollar mansions high-rise waterfront condos and a stately victorian all deemed quote essential under public health orders in san francisco and silicon valley that was the headline right and then in the first paragraph it said it said it restated the headline and then it added as well as housing projects and low-income housing all deemed essential right <laughs> uh it's crazy oh my god i can't Dude, stand I, it i'm like why would you i remember cover we this? bought uh when we bought bebo back so we had bought bebo for a million dollars out of an auction 
and um, we were going to relaunch it as something. And so nobody knew that we had bought it back. It was like done in a courtroom. It was like kind of on on the low. And um, there was I knew a reporter and, you know, we were kind of friendly, I guess. We had friends of friends that were mutual. And so I was like, okay, hey, um, you know. I want to give you a scoop and, you know, on the embargo and like come do an interview and whatever. So she was like, great, comes over, does an interview, explain the whole thing. We talk about what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. Next day, uh, the article comes out and this is the person we gave the scoop to. We could have given it to anyone. Next day, article comes out. Headline was, remember Bebo? Yeah, that Bebo. It was like, it was something like, um, you know, uh, remember Bebo? Yeah, it's dead. But maybe, you know, it was like something like Bebo is dead. Remember Bebo? Literally, it was like LOL was like in the headline. It was like making fun of it. And then the whole article was our conversation we talked about. It was like legit. And so I texted her. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, what is this headline? And she was like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't get to do the headlines. My editor does the headlines. And he just like, you know, he's going to do what's going to drive the most clicks. And like he decided the thing that would drive the most clicks is um, – talking shit about the buyback and like yeah right like it's like buying myspace back and trying to relaunch it and so i was like you know that's that's fair but um wow what a shitty move to pull when you're sort of given a a embargo you and you have all these other elements of the story that you could have like used as the lead Uh, but i I don't blame i don't blame her or him because like um I think that if you just because you gave her an embargo, like she should be still say the truth, sure, and say her opinion, like and she shouldn't hold back. If she thinks you're stupid and what you're doing is stupid, she just because you gave her that, she should that's, say that's it. true. The two things that I thought were weird were uh, number one, the headline and the story were so disconnected. The story was what she actually thought and the content of our interview, right. which was positive. That fr- that's frustrating. And then the headline was just something completely different that was written by a completely different person and just shows kind of like the way the inside of those. Uh, organizations work the second thing i thought was just kind of whack was like um no heads up like there's a sort of a human connection to this too right like if i've uh done you a favor by giving you an exclusive piece of news even if you're gonna write something that you know i'm not gonna like when you're like lol this thing is dead yeah right it's not gonna come back then um you know to surprise the person, I think is an unnecessary extra slap versus like. Oh, I just I so out. disagree with you. I I totally agree with your first point, but I don't agree with your second point, which is um, if I'm going to say something negative about you, I'm not going to give you a heads up. I'm just going to say it. But that's dumb dumb uh, business, right? You you cut yourself out then going forward, right? Like we had a bunch of other stories that came out in the coming years, and guess who like never got a word? Right, her. She just like, cut herself out for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's definitely it's a hard thing to balance. And this is why some people like, for example, if someone says that they're a conservative news site, well, the re- and one of the reasons why they probably could keep giving conservative people a good look is so they can get positive. They can. Yeah. So it's definitely hard. Right. But me personally, if you if like if someone comes on this podcast and they go like, I like, will you make me look good? I'm like, no, I'm not going to make you look good. I'm not going to make you look bad. Like, we'll talk. And if I think you say something dumb, I'm going to just going to tell you it's stupid. Right. Like, I'm not. So I, 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 I think that um, I think that if I agree with that game, I've got to suffer the, the both the positive and the negative consequences. And the positive consequences is maybe they're going to think I'm great and they'll tell the truth. And also as a quote journalist or I don't know what you want to call me or both of us, we're going to like find the truth but also if someone thinks that about us and it's negative we got to live by that yeah i don't mind getting negative press i did mind the sort of dissonance and also uh i don't know like i just think like 
it is again bad business for that person because you burn your own bridge whereas if you're like hey look um like just want to let you know like the article is going to talk about this and it's going to mention this right it's going to be there's going to be some negative parts which we're skeptical about and the disease cool could have kept that relationship didn't lost the relationship that like maybe affect me it affected them maybe telling you ahead of time is going to be negative is not bad but like if I think that what you say is bullshit, I'm going to say it no matter what. Yeah, that no, nobody wants the other side, right? Otherwise, nobody will read the shit if you're not telling it like it is. If you're not telling your actual opinion, then the you know the whole ecosystem doesn't work. But all right, anyways, I think do we have any other ones we want to talk about. You have one. No, one we. Well, I was going to say, didn't someone come on the show and I was like, I'm going to tell this person I think there's that 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 what they're doing is really stupid and. uh it's definitely awkward. When did that happen? Do you remember that? Um, I don't remember that. No. Oh man. I think uh, oh, Henry was here. Oh, oh, I know what it was. It was the the woman from Everlywell. I think she came on with the the tests. And uh, oh, I know. I, I was like, I think nutritional testing is bullshit. Right. And you said it straight did to we, her face, did, and then she kind of did like we answered you. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm trying to say like, lit- I don't even remember. Like, did we call her out? No, no, no. you literally said remember. it to her. I, I kind of facil- I kind of stirred the pot. I was like, Sam. Oh yeah, why don't you, you did. tell her what you think about this? And then you were like, yeah, it's like, dude, you told her. <laughs> tell her what you were saying. Like, you know, yeah. just go ahead. And say it. <laughs> yeah, definitely set it up. Uh, but it's definitely awkward. Like before and after, you're like, I'm being nice. <laughs> But like I'm definitely gonna roast you right now. It's super <laughs> awkward, but I think if you do it in a certain way, it's not that bad. It's like because and they should understand. Okay, one last thing, dude. We, we we totally went off the rails here. Go ahead. One last thing, but yeah, we did go off the rails. This podcast was about like beekeeping and like all kinds of other shit, but whatever. Um, so I'm gonna take my hat off, and so I clearly need a haircut. Um, my friend Greg uh, launched this company, or not? It's not a company. He just created a website called You Probably Need a Haircut.com. And uh, it basically like surfing quickly off the the, um, the quarantine stuff where people are locked at home. Everyone's hair is growing out. Nobody can go get a haircut. You shaved a mohawk. Uh, what he's doing is he's barbers who are also out of work. They're at home. They can do a Zoom consultation and basically help you cut your own hair. And so uh, if, that's awesome. If you need a haircut, go to you probably Wait, did, need a haircut. Your hair looks good. Did you cut it? No, I'm gonna cut it, dude. It's awful. It's yeah. It looks good right no, now. I agree. Good, actually, it does look good right now. But I looked at it before this hat was on it, and it looked awful. So I'm gonna go cut my so hair. So I've, I've I've been cutting my own hair for ten years now. I have <laughs> I've had the clippers. I can tell you all about. It. I know how to do a fade. The other day I did shave it completely bald because I how do you to do the back? My um, Sarah, my wife, will help me. But for years I would do it on my own and. Admittedly, it probably didn't look great, but I watched videos on how to like give uh, a fade, right. and I it's it's not that hard. But uh, I I've been doing it for years just because for a long time I was poor and I didn't want to pay money. But now I do it because I'm like, oh, I don't want to like drive yeah, there. Yeah, it's annoying to go. And plus, they always make yeah, me take like, my headphones out, and I'm like, well, now I'm bored. Like you don't understand. I constantly have information going in through my eyes or my ears and now you're making me just sit here like this sucks yeah and also i just don't want to talk to them oh. like i don't want to like so so what i do is i close my eyes and that's like a sign for not <laughs> not talk but i but i wish that there was like an app like for at a certain barbers where it's like click like do not talk to me or talk right. to me because like for weird like 
people like me, I'm like, I'm just super, I don't like the confrontation. I just don't want to, I don't want to talk. Just leave me alone. I I, I'm like that at grocery. <laughs> Dude, I'm like that at fucking grocery stores. You know, Jack, Jack Smith, he, he, we're like the same way. We go to grocery stores and I'm like, if I don't see what I don't want to, if I don't see what I want to buy, even though they probably have it, but in different sections, Not I just won't fucking buy it. I just won't buy it instead of ask. Or if I'm with Sarah, I'd be like, Sarah, will you go ask for this? I, I, like, I don't even want to talk to anyone. Right. Yeah, it's awful. I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah. They, they, I th did they add this into Uber where you could get in and be like, yo, let's not. Let's not do that thing where we talk. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's awesome. I just don't. I'm just like uncomfortable and I don't want to fucking do it. I, but more barbers. You know, the last thing, you know what they need at barbers is they just need like six different haircuts for men. And you just feel like, give me the four. But they do have that. I feel like a lot of a lot don't. And you just say the same thing, like short on the side, a little bit up the top. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. everyone says the same thing. <laughs> it's like it's like, dude, just like show me a picture of like five people, and I'll just point. Right. Um, a lot of barbers don't have that. Or yet. dude, it could be unspoken because everybody just wants short on the side, a little less short on top, but shorter than it is currently. And you should only have to say anything if you want some other shit. Like, oh, I'm going for this other look. I want to do a look. Yes. Okay, I, then it's on me to tell you about the look. But if not, I just want to sit down. No words. Just do the short on the sides, a little short on top. Same. <laughs> just like give me like three options, like completely bald, uh, like a, just a, whatever the three are, and I'll just point at one of them. And by the way, just don't talk to me unless I initiate conversation. <laughs> and do my eyebrows because they're getting a little long. I got long eyebrows. Everyone knows that. <laughs> don't make me ask. Well, that's the number. Don't make me ask. That's you. the number. <laughs> that's the number four. Right. <laughs> and also, they say like, do you want your, do you want the back of your neck rounded or squared? Right. I'm like, don't know. I don't know. Don't know. I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't see it. You, you be the judge. Right. Exactly. And I've, I've, I, one time I asked him, I was like, what's the deal with this question? Because I don't know. And like, is, is there a difference? What's the deal? And then someone told me actually, one of the barbers actually taught me. They were like, look, if you do square. It, when it starts to grow back out, it's going to look shitty. So it looked good initially, but then it'll look, sh it'll look obviously not square after it starts to grow out. He's like, do the round because then even as it grows back, it's uh, like blends in. It's not so bad. That's all. Dude, this sounds like a Larry David episode. Like, a, like so what's the, the round of square? What's the difference? <laughs> like, I mean. We try. We try. Um, so um, this one went off the rails. I, I, I think people... This is going to hit with some people. So tweet at me and Sean and let us know if this like ran. Yeah, just tweet like, yo, stick to the script uh, if you want us to, to not go off the rails as much or just say go off the rails if you want us to go off the rails. Well, the good the good news is, Sean, is we don't have to do that much work to research for next Tuesday because I actually had some stuff yeah, to go over. all our topics are but still But because there. we got stuck on journalists and uh, beekeeping and a bunch of stupid bullshit. Yeah, I'm mad again about that article from 10 years ago now. I'm like still pissed. Uh, uh, me I too. Go I got mad. I, I'm friends with this, the woman who I talked about. I'm friends with her on Facebook and I like called her out and uh, it never fucking wins when I argue yeah, with people I'm going to go decompress. I, I end up looking like an, I look like an asshole and it just doesn't work and I do it all the time. <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you later.